What a testimony. <laughs> I love to hear people's testimonies, how the Lord saved them. I like that song, He Came to Me. Uh, that's what He did to me, too. He came to me. Uh, that's what we are to do, is uh, the Lord comes to us. He finds us. He seeks and saves those which are lost. I'm glad also the psalmist said that, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm glad to be in God's house today. Uh, the, the greatest establishment, institution in all the world and soon to be in heaven. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15 this morning, Lord willing, on a message I've titled, The Crisis Identity of the Church. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. When you get there, if you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting with verse 14. And here the Bible says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. We just need you so much. Lord, keep me out of the way today. Lord, keep this flesh tamed today. Lord, let you be seen and visible and may a mighty work be done in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, not too long ago, perhaps you saw in the local news a story of a, uh, a church that was set up at a gas station, and they were allowing anyone that, that wanted to to come in, and they would pump your gas, and they would pay for it, no questions asked, and on your way. Uh, there was a lot of fanfare about this. It was all over the news, many social media uh, markets, Facebook and Twitter and all those crazy places, had, had it everywhere. And uh, I read the article and, uh, you know, was interested in what was going on there, the purpose of why they may be doing this. Uh, one article said that they were giving out a gospel track as well. Um, most, of, most of the places left that a little bit of information out of it. Uh, however... Uh, after the article is over, I started reading the comments. You know, everything's on social media today, and you can comment on everything. Right. And so people come out of the woodwork, crawl out from under rocks and everywhere else to comment on articles, right. especially if it has anything to do with religion or the church. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started reading the, reading the comments and started noticing something very similar going down through there. A lot of people were commenting, finally, a church doing what a church is supposed to do. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and things like that. This must be a great church, paying for people's gas. This is what churches ought to be doing, this and that. And quite honestly, I can understand the world thinking that. I can see a, the world, the lost world, thinking that may be what the church should be doing. However, I saw a lot of people giving the amens, the virtual amens and the virtual little hands praying, you know, after the, after the comments. And started looking at some, and they, they said they were Christians, and they belonged to this church and that church. And I started understanding, and, you know, I've been in the ministry for many years, and I've seen this trend over the past probably 15, 20 years. The church is in an identity crisis. Yes. Uh, not only does the lost world not understand the purpose and reason for the church, but nowadays church members and Christians have no idea what the church actually is for. Why it was created, why God established the church, what our purpose is, what our calling is, what we're supposed to be doing as a local New Testament church. 
the body of Christ. And so for several weeks, the Lord has been burdening me with this thought about the crisis of the New Testament church, the local New Testament church. And that's what we are here today. Uh, this, this building is not the church. You guys sitting in here are the church. You're the body of, the, of Christ. You're the church. And so we're not talking about the building. But the thought that we can't escape from today is understanding what our purpose is. How did we begin? What, what was the reason for God establishing the church? And so I don't have time to tell you everything the Lord has been burdening me with this morning. Lord willing, this will be two parts, one this morning and tonight if you, if you ask me back after this message. So what I want you to do now is turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. And I want us to look at something very interesting. Matthew 16 and 13, you all are probably very familiar with this section of Scripture. Uh, the Lord is dealing with a lot of things during this time. A lot of people asking a lot of questions. He's ha he has a lot of followers. He has a lot of people that are just going by to see the miracles and things like that. A lot of them are faithfully following him in the truth. But here as we reach Matthew 16 and 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, honestly, that's the question that we need to be asking people today. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who the Son of Man is? I mean, who do you say that he is? And any time you mention the name Jesus in a public venue, you're going to get some kind of reaction, whether good or bad or inquisitive. But here Jesus asks, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Now remember, these are the people closest to him. And he's asking them, I mean, here's Peter, James, John, and, and all those disciples. And he's saying, I know what the world's saying about me. I know what all the outsiders are saying about me. All these people that keep following me around, I know what they're saying about me. What I'm interested in is, what are you thinking about me? Who do you think I am? Because this is very important that you understand this. Who am I? Who do you, whom say ye that I am? Verse 16, and Simon Peter, bless his heart. He is the greatest example in the Bible of, of what I probably would have been like following Jesus. Always sticking my foot in my mouth, doing crazy things, pulling out knives, trying to whack people's heads off and everything else. Missing, hitting their ear. Uh, but uh, that's Peter. And Peter, he, he is the leader of the disciples. There's no mistake about that. He is the one there. I know he's part of the inner circle, but he's always the one they're looking to, following. He's the first one to speak out, first one to step out of a boat, whatever it took. Peter did. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ! No mistake about it. No question. He understood clearly who Jesus was, the Christ. The Christ means the Messiah, the Christos, the Savior of the world. And so he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, <laughs> Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This brother just saying, He came to me. You see, we must understand that Jesus, God, is the one that draws sinners to Him. He draws Him. No man can come unto me but the Father draw Him. That's what the Bible says. And so Peter, or Jesus tells Peter, that's right, Peter, and I know that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. This is not a fleshly thing that you can understand. It all is spiritual. And God has revealed it to you. The Father has revealed you who I am. 
but my Father which is in heaven, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, when it comes to the local New Testament church, you need to understand something. The church began with Jesus and his disciples. That's where it began with. Jesus and his disciples. And then later on, it was empowered at Pentecost. When those believers who made up the first body of the church, those believers were in that upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came down and filled them. They began speaking in other languages and and it was just wonderful. Uh, They looked like fires, flaming tongues of fire there. That's when the church became empowered. And Peter stood up there on the day of Pentecost and began preaching Jesus and Him crucified. And, and in front of all those Jews, thousands of Jews that were there during this time, during the time of Pentecost. And so the church began with Jesus and his disciples, and it was empowered at Pentecost. Over in, um, let me let me see real quick, verse 18. If you look back at verse 18 there, as we just read in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. He said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, The Roman Catholics want to take that little bit of scripture and claim that God built the church, established the church, founded the church upon the Apostle Peter. That's what they claim. They claim it. Go look at their dogma. Go look at all their their writings. They claim that Peter is what God built the church upon. But is that what this is really saying? No. Let's look at it again. He said, I'll say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now, his name was Simon, but Jesus calls him Peter. What does that mean? Peter. Yeah, Petros. It means a piece of a rock or a small stone. That's what that word means. That's what it's the Greek translation. It translates over from Petros, which means a small piece of rock or stone. But then immediately after he says that, Jesus says, upon this rock... I will build my church. Here that word rock is comes from a different word. It's Petra, which means a large stone, a large rock, a boulder, a solid foundation of a, of a rock. And so, in other words, this is a massive rock, not, not just a piece of one or a small stone. Now, I fully believe, I can't prove this, but I fully believe on that day when Jesus was speaking to Peter, he was looking at him, he called him... As it says right here, Petros, or Peter, thou small stone, thou piece of rock, thou art Peter. And then I fully believe he was implying himself, but upon this rock, I will build my church. You're Peter, you're a rock, but upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, the word this is not in our our text this morning. And we can't say that Jesus 100% said that or, or implied that or pointed himself but I can almost see it. I'd love to be in a fly on the on the on a tree. I guess they were outside. I'd like to be in a fly there watching this take place as Jesus did this. And I can almost guarantee you that he was saying that he himself was what the church was yes. built upon. Yes. Yes. Upon this rock I will build. And notice what he said. My church. He didn't say your church. He didn't call the church Peter's church. He doesn't call the church your church. But we are the church body. We're the body of Christ. And so, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote over the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 2 and 19, Paul writes this. He said, 
Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see that? In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit, with a capital S. <laughs> the Spirit. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Ghost, or Spirit. Now, so what Paul has just told the, the, the church at Ephesus here was that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the foundation of the church. He himself is the chief cornerstone. Now, I'm not a, a builder by any means. In fact, everything I build ends up being crooked or sideways or something. It's, it's a trait in my family. My dad was the same way. He'd build chicken houses and the thing would be sitting like this. Uh, but uh, I do know this. When you begin to build a structure, a house, you've got to have a solid foundation to begin upon. And there's always a chief cornerstone. We're going to start... Right here. You don't just start anywhere. You don't go over here in the middle and say, well, we'll start right here, and then we'll go over here and work a little bit. We'll do this and do that. No, you've got to have something to build upon, something that is strong, something that's going to hold up that house. Otherwise, it's going to fall down. Uh, our house that we live in, it's an old brick rancher built in 1964. That was two years before I was born. And from what rumor is, the guy that built our place, and he built a garage in the back of it, and... From what the rumor is, that guy was drunk while he was building this garage. And if you go behind my garage, you're going to find that the cinder blocks are spread apart this far in the corner. So this guy, he did not build that thing on a solid foundation. He didn't build it correctly. And eventually, I'm sure the thing's going to fall and, and probably crush my Dodge Ram or something. But uh, You've got to have a solid foundation to begin upon. And Jesus Christ is our solid foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. The chief means the one in charge. If you've got to have somebody in charge, you need the chief. You don't want a, a, a private. You don't want a, you know, a little Indian. You want the chief. You want the main guy. And so Jesus is it. And so the framework of the household of God or the church is built upon the foundation, the Bible says, of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, I told you that the church began with Jesus and his disciples. They're included in the framework of the household of God. The framework. Now, if you notice that Paul told those Ephesians there that we are part of that building fitly framed, that we're framed together and we grow up into this holy temple of the Lord. And so each one of us, and by the way, over in 1 Peter, Peter says that we're lively stones. That we, we are like Jesus. Jesus, he called him the living stone over in 1 Peter 2 and 4. And then in the next verse, he said this in 1 Peter 2 and 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we see that all this is starting to come together. Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church, meaning himself. Paul told the Ephesians that he's the chief cornerstone. And by the way, he was rejected. Yes. He's the chief cornerstone. He says that we're built upon that framework with the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone, and we're a lively, uh, uh, what did he say? He said we were a lively, as lively stones. And he said they were spiritual. All this, the church, is a spiritual body. It's spiritual 
And everything has to be spiritually discerned. The things of God are spiritually discerned. And the lost cannot discern them. They, they don't understand. They can pick up this King James Bible and they can read through it. They can even memorize Scripture and they can repeat Scripture. But if they're not saved, they can't discern the Word of God. And so they'll believe all kinds of things when it comes to the things of God. And so if somebody tells them, well, you know, the purpose of the church is to go around and buy everybody's gas. Purpose of the church is for the church to go around and feed everybody. Purpose of the church is this and the purpose is that. Now listen, we can do good things. That's part of what we are to do. Uh, we know we're we're to be charitable people. Uh, what is it? Pure religion, undefiled, is to uh, help the widows and and the orphans and the and uh, to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. I don't get. I, don't, I can't remember that verse precise, but that is one of the things we do. We do help people. That's part of what we do. But that is not our purpose. That is not what our commission is. Now, we are to go about making disciples. That is one of the main things that we do. In fact, it is the main thing. It is preaching the gospel to every creature. That's our main goal. That's the commission that the Lord gave. Go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Now, part of that is making disciples. That's I, I mentioned discipleship, I believe, last time I was here, and how a lot of the church today is failing in the discipleship department. But we are to make disciples for Christ. Now, the church, that word church, it comes from a, a word, ecclesia, which means a called-out assembly. Now, you can call almost anything that's called out a church because that's the meaning of it, a called-out assembly. However, it is what you are called out to that matters. A church, as we're speaking of today, a local New Testament church, is a called-out assembly, called out from what? We're called from the world, from sin, and unto Christ. We're called unto Christ. So a church body is an assembly of people who are called out, a called out assembly unto Christ. And so that is our main purpose is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the church as we know it today did not exist. But there was a form of the church. Those Jews that met together, the assembly of the Jews, the uh, they were called the... Uh, the assembly of the congregation, the congregation of Israel, the congregation of the Lord. He called them many things. And every time they came together as one body, they were a type of church. They weren't the local New Testament church as we know it today, but they were still God's people that had been called out to worship and, and uh, for him. They were called unto him. Now, in the Old Testament, things were a little different. They didn't just let anybody in the church. You just couldn't walk in off the street and join the assembly. <laughs> in fact, it was very forbidden. Over in Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 8, we see some things that they did not allow in those days. It says there in Deuteronomy 23 and 1, these people can't come in. He that is wounded in the stones or hath his private members cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now remember, the congregation of the Lord is the assembly of God's people. It's the people that belong to the Lord. Verse 2, a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor uh, of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. And so the, he's giving reasons here. God's word is giving reasons why he didn't allow these people in. Uh, they were against God. 
Today we would call him Antichrist because anything that opposes Christ is Antichrist. And he said, it says in verse 6, Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all the days forever. Thou shalt not abhor, or thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou was a stranger in the land. And the children that are begetting of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. So, all these stipulations, if you had some kind of deformity, if there was something in your past, in your bloodline, if there was anything, that, I mean, they were, you were scrutinized before you can even enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now, a lot of people today say, oh my goodness, what in the world? You mean, you mean to tell me you're not all-encompassing? You don't allow just anybody to come in? I can't believe that doesn't seem very Christ-like. They don't know Christ. They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't understand the truth of the church. And it flies in the face of today's limp-wristed, namby-pamby Christianity that God would set standards. <laughs> and believe me, He has standards. Today, what is it? Anything goes. Come as you are and leave as you were. That's, that's about how it is in today's Christianity. But one thing you must realize, whenever you're dealing with the New Testament church, it is only, only 100% speaking of people that are saved. Amen. Now, I know that there's times people become church members that are unsaved. This brother just testified. He, he said he was saved. He, he belonged to the church and then understood and realized that he, he wasn't. I hear this a lot. I have personal friends that this has happened to. They were told they were saved at a young age. Somebody said, hey, repeat these words. And they got up and they said, yeah, how's it feel to be saved? Good. And so it happens. I understand that. But the truth is, to be part of the body of Christ, to really belong to the local New Testament church, you must be saved. Now, the people, people don't like that today. And they don't like that we still have standards to uphold. We still adhere to God's word on who can and cannot join a church. The church I used to pastor, there was a, a couple that came and they wanted to join. I personally knew them and I knew that they were not married, but they were living together. And I said, no, I'm sorry. If you want to get married, you can join if you're saved. And they were very angry. They told people they could not believe the kind of people that went down there to that church. That pastor down there, he was terrible. He was running people off and you know, didn't want no, didn't want them in there and all that stuff. I told him the truth. I said, it's, it goes against God's word. And so there's certain things we cannot allow in the church. Today they're allowing all kinds of things. We don't care what you're doing, what you're into. You know, as long as you reach back there and grab your billfold and put it in the offering plate, we're fine with it. We don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to disturb you. We don't want to get you mad at us. And so whatever is okay. So that's a lot of the thought of today's modern type of church. I don't believe that kind of church. I do not. Now, turn over now to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, I want to show you something interesting. Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, the Bible says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and, Samar- and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. All right, let's stop there for a second. Who do we have here? It says when they came together. Who are they? They're the church. That's the early church. That's the saved people. That's the disciples. Those that were following Christ, they came to him. And they were asking questions. And this was after his crucifixion. He had appeared to many. And they said, what in the world are we to expect here? You know, and so they asked him, when are you going to restore the kingdom? They were always looking for the earthly kingdom to be restored. They want God's kingdom on earth because that was what he promised. That's what they want. That's what the Jew looks for. And so they asked him, they said, when are you going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? Rome has invaded us. Rome has took over. Rome dictates everything that we do. We pay taxes to Caesar. When are you going to put a stop to this? And Jesus tells them, listen, it's not for you to know the season when this is going to take place. It's not for you to know. He says, but I will tell you this, you're going to receive power. The Holy Ghost is going to come down and visit you. And when that happens, oh boy, there's going to be some things happen. Verse 9, he, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Again, it said they. They were gazing up. They were looking. And they were like, what in the world? I mean, Jesus is going up on this cloud. And they're saying, what in the world's going on? And these angels come out and by the way they didn't look like touched by an angels it wasn't Roma Downey and, and the other woman with the, the bright light behind them it wasn't that if you was to ever come in contact with an actual angel it would scare you to death when you see people confronted with angels in the Bible they usually fall down on the ground like they're dead they were in fear they were trembling I mean it's a it's a it's a, a, a crazy thing and so these angels come out there and say, what in the world are you guys looking at? He's coming back just like he's going out. He's going to come back. And so they have this inside information. Well, he's going to come back. And he's always told them this anyway. But it says they, when they had come together, his followers, his disciples, those that belonged to him, and in other words, the church. And so he tells the church they're going to receive this power from the Holy Ghost. It will come upon them, and then they're going to be witnesses to all the earth. All right, now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, what happened? Just like Jesus said, he said, the Holy Ghost is going to come and visit you, and it's going to come upon you, and then you're going to go out and be witnesses to all the world. Here it's happened. The very next chapter. So they're sitting in that upper room, and the they again are those that are saved. There's no lost people in the upper room. And the Holy Ghost comes down upon each of them, the Bible said, each of them, and they were filled, and they spoke in other tongues 
They wasn't getting on the floor barking like a dog and and doing crazy things. And you know, I'm I'm don't I don't know what what you guys believe in a lot of stuff, but I can tell you from what I understand in the Bible, they wasn't doing this jibber jabber crazy stuff you're seeing on TV on the Community Channel when they get up there got a Chevy one and over and all this stuff. No, they were speaking in a language that somebody understood. They may not understood what they were saying, but the Lord was opening their mouth and it was coming out, and other people understood it. It was a language. So he tells them that the church received the power. They received it. And then right after that, if you look down the next section, Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, Peter stands up. Peter, standing up with eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my words. All right, so for the next many verses, Peter begins preaching. And I mean he's hot and heavy. He's... He's letting it rip. And he's telling them all about this Jesus whom they crucified that was their Messiah. You killed your Messiah. He preaches to them, tells them the truth. And oh, goodness, look what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. All right, we see what happened. When Peter preached the truth from God's word, and remember what our opening text there, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The world does not have truth. Peter told those Jews right there that were listening to him, he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. This generation that is going to hell. We're living in that same untoward generation today. A generation of the world that is going to hell in a handbasket. And we need to be saved from that. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus, your Savior, received Christ, you're saved from that. You don't have to worry about it. But all these millions of people that are living in this world that are lost, they're headed to hell. And so what did Jesus say that they were to do after they were empowered by the Holy Ghost? They're going to go out and witness to all the world. Who did he say that to? The church. The church. The church. The church. And it's always saved people. Never lost. Never lost. All right, so read again verse 41 we just read. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So they repented of their sins. They understood what, what they did that was wrong. They understood they needed to be saved from that. And so they repented. And what happened? They were saved. What did they do after they got saved? They went and got baptized. Believer's baptism. That's what that was right there. I had a lady. I sent out Bible tracts to 5,000 homes. And I had a lady call the church. And she said, you're teaching heresy down there. Because I would put in the Bible tract the, the way of salvation. And I mentioned at the end of that, that after you get saved, you need to 
join a local New Testament church and you need to be baptized. She said, now, wait a minute, that's in the wrong place. She said on that recording, she, re- she sent a message to the church. Nobody answered the phone. It got there on the recording. She said that if you're teaching that, you, that baptism is not part of salvation, that you're teaching heresy. And so I got several feedbacks like that. I got letters in the mail about it. The people that believe that you have to be baptized before you can be saved. I wonder what happened to that thief on the cross. Did it come down a big rainstorm and he get all wet and baptized? Mm, no. No. And so the, the Bible pattern for salvation is you repent of your sins. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I don't want to be this sinner, and I'm turning from me being a sinner, and I'm turning to you for salvation. Believe upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. I believe the Lord Jesus died for my sins on that cross. He was buried, and he rose. I believe that, Lord. That's salvation. And then after that, what do we do? We go and we get baptized to say, I'm no longer that old, filthy, rotten sinner. I'm coming up a new man, one that's been saved. I repented of my sins. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He saved me from my sins. And now I'm following Him in believer's baptism. That's what baptism is for. And so them, now that these 3,000 people were saved... The Lord added them to the church, added to them. So they become part of the church. And then quickly, down, down, further down, Acts 2 and 42, the church began multiplying and, and look what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. (laughs) Saved! Saved, saved by His power divine. That's what we sung earlier in the congregation of the saints. Saved! I'm saved! Amen. And he touched me. I didn't touch him. He touched me. <laughs> oh, So people were added to the church. The church began multiplying. You'll see it. That pattern take place. The New Testament church began multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. 3,000, 5,000, 6,000. I mean, just kept growing and growing and growing. And they were all in Jerusalem at the time. And so they were all going to each other's houses. And they were going to homes. A lot of people from out of town. They were going to, to their fellow church members' homes. And they were breaking bread. Had singleness of heart. All things in common. That's what a church body is. They have all things in common. All things in common. So what did they do? They, had, they continued in the doctrine. What's the doctrine? What the apostles were teaching. The Word of God. Today the doctrine is what we get from this King James Bible. It's the Word of God. It's the doctrine of God. And so we continue in the doctrine. We don't go get a Dr. Seuss book and stand up here and read hop on pop and hope somebody gets saved. No, we open up the Word of God. The precious Word of God. And we say, this is what God says. This is how you must be saved. And people's heart get pricked just like they did those Jews. Their heart got pricked. That's what happened to me. My heart got pricked. I told you last time when I got saved at six years old, my heart wanted to come out of my chest. My heart got pricked. I understood I was lost. I was a sinner and I was dying and going to hell. What did I do? I repented. Oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And He saved me because I believed in the gospel. The finished work of Christ on the cross. 
They fellowshiped together, the Bible says. They ate their meals together. They feared the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, by the way. They had all things in common. And they continued daily. They weren't just weekend warriors. They didn't show up just on Sunday morning and say, I'll see you next Sunday morning. No, they were continuing daily as a church. They had favor. The Bible says they had favor with everyone. Do you think the church today has favor with everyone? Whoo! What a difference today makes. Why do you think that is? It's because we are nothing like the first century church. We have allowed anything and everything to infiltrate the church. We've tried to turn the church into a social club. We've tried to turn the church into a worldly organization. We've tried to put CEOs in charge. We've tried to do things to make people feel comfortable when they come in. If a sinner feels comfortable sitting in your church, there's a problem. All the cushions are nice. I'm not talking about physical comfort. I'm talking about that inward comfort. If they feel comfortable sitting in your church, if they don't hear the Word of God being preached, where it pricks them in their heart, there is a problem. And so, yes, the church is very narrow-minded. It's a narrow way. Straight is the way. Narrow is the gate. It is one way, and the one way is through Jesus Christ. You know what? There's a thing going on about the about the environment, the atmosphere, and not wanting to release any carbons and all this stuff. I guess I wanted to go and get a bunch of those at Aquanet hairspray and stand outside and just spray it all over the place. You know what? This place is going to be gone one day. And when God decides it's time for this place to be gone, He'll take it. He'll make it be gone. Spray all the hairspray you want, ladies. It doesn't matter. I liked that hair that was all everywhere and sprayed. You know, I, I liked it. When I was a kid, them women wore, wore them big beehives and they walk around. Good thing they didn't have those ceiling fans everywhere back then. But listen, all these things were very attractive to other people in that time. And they saw how the church conducted themselves, how they held their services, how they treated other people, and they liked it. And so what, they had favor with everyone. They had favor. Today we're out of favor with the world, and that's the way it's going to be. So what's church? It's the most holy institution on earth and soon to be in heaven. It is saved people who voluntarily join themselves together to assemble, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a building like this. We assemble in our house. That's where our church is, is in our home. Two of my children got saved. One got saved in the house. One got saved outdoors. It doesn't require a building to be saved. <laughs> and by the way, and I'm going to touch on this tonight when we get there, church services are not for lost people. You may not ask me back. The church is the bride of Christ, and he loves it so much that he gave himself for it. Ephesians 5 and 22, and I'll be finished. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Make sure you pay attention to that. Christ is the head of the church. Your preacher's not the head of the church. Your deacon's not the head of the church. Your Sunday school teacher's not the head of the church. No, we're members of the body, with Christ being the head. He's the leader of the church, and he's the savior of the body. I love that. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. That's why Jesus died for the church. He died to, for lost sinners to be saved. But when you become saved, you're part of the church. You're now the bride of Christ. Aren't you glad of that today? We're brides of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And one of these days, we're going to be united. Listen, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. If I was to drop dead today, I know when I open my eyes, I'd be in the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to some place that the Roman Catholics made up where you can go down there and pray your way out of trouble. <laughs> Once you close these eyes in death, you're going to one place or the other. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no other place to go. And if you've not been saved, I want to tell you right now, where you're going is hell. And so it's, it's so important that we understand the truth of the church. And that's what the Bible said. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The world is not the truth. They will never be. They never have been. They never will be. They're not the truth. The only truth is the Lord Jesus, what he says. What this word right here says, and no other word is needed besides this one right here. You don't need any spurious books. You don't need any of these so-called lost gospels or anything like that. All God's word is contained right here in the canon of scripture that we hold in our hands. And for English-speaking people, I personally believe the King James Bible is the only translation needed. And so, uh, you know, you can believe how you want. But I do want you to know, if you are not saved, it doesn't matter what Bible version you have in your hands. If you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. I want you to know you don't have to. That God made a way. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to be con- uh, to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. I know that one of these days, that place He's prepared, and He said He's going away, He's going to prepare a place for us. And I'm looking forward to that. And I hope that you're there. If you're not, you need to understand, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. All you got to do is believe on his name. Believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Ask him to save you. Tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. He'll save you. He won't turn you away. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. The Lord loves you and he will save you. Brother, if you want to go ahead and get an invitation, I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the message today. Lord, thank you for the institution of the church and, Lord, what it means to us. God, I know that you died for the church. Lord, I'm praying for that individual that's in here this morning. Lord, they may be lost. I don't know. God, but you know each heart. Lord, please convict hearts today. If there's someone that needs you, Lord, convict them. Have them trust you as Savior, Lord. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help help those that may listen to this later on. Help help those that are struggling. Lord, help us reach this world. Help us be those that are empowered by the Holy Ghost that goes out and tells the world about Jesus. And God, we want to give you the honor and the praise and the glory for everything because it all belongs to you, including the church. Help us, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, brother.